school. Uh, we've been going through talking about uh, um, some Christian warfare uh, subjects, uh, specifically in regards uh, to certain ways in which we respond to uh, the battles, uh, specifically talking about how we look at our Christian life and the war that wages within. We're going to kind of get into a little bit more detail about that this morning, uh, kind of getting to this conflict that exists. Uh, we're going to be primarily in the book of Romans once we start getting into that with, uh, with this uh, mindset that exists. And, um, and again, I, I dare say that when we start thinking about uh, what exactly uh, the scripture talks about, uh, with, with that battle that we fight on day to day basis, that the larger battles in life are, are, are going to be ones that will be lost if we are not individually, uh, fighting for what is right in our own lives. Uh, there will be no uh, revival here in the United States if Christians do not win that battle, uh, um, in their own life. If they're not willing to stand up and fight in their own life, then why in the world would we ever begin to think that there would be any, you know, victory that could come here in the United States to make changes uh, towards the will of God? Because again, you find that over and over again where the nation of Israel, when they had lost out on those individual battles... They were carried away into bondage. They were, they were, uh, uh, brought under oppression. So when we think about this in our day-to-day life, we have to understand that we as believers have a great responsibility in this fight. And as I've said time and time again, and as I've heard over and over in my Christian life, when you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were drafted into the army of God. There are no conscientious objectors. You are and will be, uh, very clearly, uh, part of the fight. So just kind of keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Uh, one thing that I did want to quickly briefly say that I forgot to say before we got started, um, you may have noticed that the camera has moved. So just so you know, if you're over here on my right side and you get up, you will be tracked on camera as you go across that. So, Just kind of keep that in mind that everything that is right down this middle path here, you are going to show up on the live stream. So just kind of, just, you know, tuck that away. For some strange reason, I predict, and um, I don't want to necessarily prophesy, but I think that this side might grow a little heavy (laughs) as that occurs. So just keep that in mind that if you... If you have to, to to do anything, that you're gonna show up on that live stream. So uh, let's uh, kind of make sure that we keep that in mind. But uh, I want to continue a little bit of the thought uh, from last week regarding our heart and and our standing. We were talking about how we go about standing, the the establishment of it, um, if you will, uh, with our directions, our thought processes, all of those things. That you're talking about the committing of our resources to the Lord. And as I said, we kind of have to view it in that mindset that if we are given, say, uh, um, just as a rough, uh, uh, you know, for sake of illustration, um, we're given 10 resources and we use one of those resources for God and we think we've got nine resources for ourselves. we are misunderstanding the use of resources according to the Scripture. 
Uh, it is supposed to be 100% of those resources directed towards God. It's when we don't fill that 100% that we open ourselves up for things of the world, the flesh, and sin to come in. This is why when we stand in Christ, we have to understand that firm foundation so that we can have that commitment process in place when we're serving the Lord. And as we kind of talked about, you know, here we are, if we stand in ourselves, if we stand in our own righteousness, uh, if we stand in our own opinions or, or, or personal beliefs or interpretations or whatever it may be, the end result is, is we're going to have an unsteady footing and we're going to be in pathways that are foreign to God, that are not where we are supposed to be. Turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, we're going to see a, a, a little bit of an establishment here with the nation of Israel. As an example, the way that they went about uh, in their life that the Lord had given them, there was some very distinct differences. In Romans chapter 10 in verse 3, talking about Israel, it says, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves under the righteousness of God. So here's a a perfect example. We saw the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. You go back and you read, and, and, and it is like one of those little inflatable guys that you see at the car dealership that's got his arms flailing around, and he's back and forth, and he's all over the place. Well, the same thing is true with the nation of Israel. They were, they were hot one time, they were cold the next, they were lukewarm, they were on their back, they were on their front. I mean, it just, it was all over the place. And what we find is the reason why. Number one, they did not know what righteousness meant according to God. They established their own righteousness and thought that was the way that they were supposed to go about doing it because they refused to submit to what God was telling them to do. There was the biggest issue. There was the problem. When we have rebellion, insurrection, or anything of that nature in our life, we are at odds with God. We're at odds with God. We cannot have that type of heart. We cannot have that type of mindset. It is an obedient mindset that we are supposed to have as we've been studying over there in Philippians. So we, these individuals were obviously not submitting themselves to the righteousness of God because, number one, they didn't know it. They were, if you will, ignorant of it. Now, ignorant has a couple of meanings. Ignorant can just mean that you are unaware of what it is. But at the same time, we look at the root word, and the root word of ignorant is ignore, which means that you know there's something there that you need to learn, but you just choose to ignore it. You just choose, I'm not going to. I'm going to remain willingly ignorant. Now, again, you know, we talk about things that are ignorant that are out there. Some people are ignorant about how vehicles work. They, they couldn't tell you a single thing about how, how, how their car works. They, 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 all they know is that they've got to pump, you know, these, this, uh, this liquid that now going up in price into their vehicle. And they know nothing more than that. They know nothing more than that. I had a coworker, I may have said this before, she comes in with a Subaru. If you know anything about a Subaru, Subarus are, are pretty good cars if you take care of them. If you take care of them. Uh, she had a Subaru and, uh, um, she comes in and, uh, 
she she happens to mention to to me and one of the uh one of my other employees that was there and said, "Yeah, my car's making a weird noise. I, I wasn't sure I was even going to be able to make it into work today." Uh, and me and this individual kind of look at each other and like, what do, when we look at her, like, what do you mean weird noise? Like what? And she goes, I don't know. It's this loud knock and bang. You know, if you know anything about cars, you know, that's not a good sound that you want to hear coming from your engine bay. So I said, can I see your keys for a second? And I, and the other individual, the guy that was with me, Mike, I told him, I said, come here, come here with me. Let's, let's go take a look. And, and, uh, we go out there and, uh, and I pop open the hood and I said, okay, Mike, I'm going to go ahead and start it up and let me see, just, you know, let's see if what we can hear, if we hear anything. And I started it up and it was whack, 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 whack. And I'd like quickly turn it off and he's got these eyes that are just massive and he's like, cause he was like right there in the engine bay and he was afraid that thing was going to blow. And I'm like, okay, that's not a good sound. So immediately the first thing we do is we check the oil. Let's start checking the fluids, right? I pull it. The stick not only does not have oil, but the stick is dry. And when I mean dry, I'm talking about like overcooked chicken dry. It's just, I mean, you know, you just look at it and you're like, ugh. And I took that out and I was like, he, he had a, he had a napkin and I, and I wiped it off and, and I, and I put it back in and, you know, did that a couple of times. There was nothing. There was no liquid in it at all. There was, I mean, it was dry. And I went and I said to her, I said, when's the last time you changed the oil? She goes, oil? I'm like, when did you buy this car? Oh, about five years ago. So you've never changed the oil in the last five years? I didn't know I was supposed to. Oh, my word. And, uh, you, you, ignorant. Ignorant. I mean, you know, and, and, and we know that there was an Emmanuel that came with it that walked through and said all of these things that were in there that you needed how to take care of the car. I mean, there was warning lights that came up, and I'm like, did you not see? And she's like, I didn't think it was an issue. <laughs> you turn it on, and the, thing's, the heat thing's pegged all the way over to the other side. Like, it's just, you're, you're, you're like, did you not even look? What? I mean, we, it was ignorance. It was, she ignored what was there. And, 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 and it was just, it was horrific. But I'll tell you, it was a testament. She ran that Subaru without oil for five years. Or I should say with one oil change over, you know, the five years, that's a pretty, that's a pretty decent engine. Probably could have taken it out and rebuilt it. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> the fact that it was still somewhat moving and knocking was, was kind of somewhat indicative that it was alive. But it was ignorance. It was ignorance. She didn't know what the right thing to do was. And the same thing is true with us in our Christian life. We should not be ignorant of what God's righteousness is. Because we looked over there last week over in Isaiah 54, and we found that's wherein we stand. We stand in his righteousness. If we do not have that righteousness, we cannot stand. And we can't go about setting up our own because we know it is as a filthy rag. Turn over to uh, Romans chapter 5, since we're there in that neighborhood, Romans chapter 5. And looking at this uh, this idea and this concept of uh, being unsteady, 
And, and, you know, God makes it clear in Scripture that, that a person that is double-minded is unstable. And in the same same mindset here, we have to make a choice. We have to make a decision. We can't be ignorant of who God is. We can't be ignorant of what he's, what his righteousness is. And in Romans chapter 5 and in verse 21, uh, here he makes it clear. He says, uh, just backing up a little bit here to verse 20, he says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness under the eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So we find that obviously God's grace is far greater than any sin. And we even sing a hymn about that. So the more sin that is in the world, there is more grace that is offered that is available. And and, and I just, I, I thank God for that. But it's that grace is reigning through his righteousness. It's reigning through his righteousness. So if we realize that sin is reigning unto death, we realize that God's righteousness is reigning unto life, that grace, that we need that in our life. If we are to be alive for Christ, if we are to be actually active doing something, so as we go through this and think about this a little bit more, we find that in Romans chapter 6, the next chapter over, in verse 13, here he says in this passage, he says, Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So we have to yield it. We have to yield it. And we all know that people don't know how to yield. All you have to do is drive on the freeway. Yeah, you, you, that too. <laughs> Here in Ridgefield, nobody knows how to yield. Nobody knows how to drive in a roundabout. You come to the roundabout and it's like, I, I don't know, it's like Russian roulette. You know, you, you, you try to figure out who's going to go and who's going to, I just, I'm sorry. I mean, I just look at it and I'm like, okay, if I'm not going to hit, I'm going. I'm just going. I'm not going to sit there and just go and just go and, and, uh, uh, just move. But, but, but here we are looking at what, what God's talking about. It's a matter of yielding ourselves to the righteousness of God. Now this takes a certain mindset. A yielding is a choice. A yielded heart is a choice. Being yielded to the Holy Spirit of God is a direct choice that we make. And the battles that we win or lose are based upon the decisions that we make. So if we're going to constantly be losing the battle in our Christian life, then that means that we need to reevaluate our choices. How are we discerning what is right and what is wrong? Maybe my standards are not lining up with scriptural standards. Maybe there's something in my life where I'm not understanding and I am ignorant of what the right thing to do is. So I can't go around and just say, well, because I don't know what I'm supposed to do, I'm just going to yield to the sin all the time. I'm just going to do what makes me happy. I'm just going to do my own will. When we do that, we are unsteady footing. We are the man that built his house upon the sand, not upon the rock, and that rock being Jesus Christ. So understanding that thought, 
I want to talk a little bit here about this morning, specifically in Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 is that passage where it talks about that, 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 that fight that exists. Doing what we shouldn't do and not doing what we should do. And he, he, he talks about it and we, 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 we may be familiar with this passage. We'll get into it a little bit of detail, but, I, but I want to kind of paint a picture here of what this looks like. Now, it, as an example, I want you to think of how we are created. God has made it specifically in scripture that we have three components of who we are. There is a body. That is this thing that we see right here, right? This is the thing that plagues us every single day. This is the thing that when you roll out of bed and you feel something snap in your back and you go, well, that wasn't right. That is our flesh. That's what we, you know, we, we deal with this, okay? This right here has specific senses associated with it. So it is sensory driven. Hence the word sensual. Now, when we think about that, we realize that this is what is, you know, if you will, experiencing in this world. We have this sensory component to us. That being understood, there is two other parts. There is a soul and there's a spirit. Now, sometimes that line between what is soul and spirit blurs if we don't understand what Scripture talks about. Throughout Scripture, and we're not going to go into a great detail. We've done this before. We may do it again some other time. But if you look at our soul, our soul has a mouth, has a tongue, has ears, has feet and hands, has eyes, all of the things that we kind of associate with a physical body. Well, how do we know that? Well, you go through and you begin to see how God describes things. One of the greatest passages that helps describe that is the, uh, the, um, the account of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man and Lazarus, what did he do? He said very specifically, he said, uh, I want you to dip your, you know, have, um, uh, uh, Lazarus dip his hand, his finger, in water, bring it over to me and put a drop on my tongue. He could see, he could speak, he could hear, and he could actually receive refreshment in such a way. And Lazarus, he saw, had fingers. Now, that, that that's very important. God doesn't describe the spirit that way necessarily. But what we have is we have that spirit that is supposed to be affected by the things of God. So what happens is, is you have the Holy Spirit communing with our spirit. And in between the body and the spirit is this soul. And that soul, which is you, is now going to be... Uh, if you will, specifically affected in certain ways. And what we realize is that our soul not only has those other things that I described, but it has a heart and it has a mind. 
So what we begin to see is that what we want to have happen is that the Holy Spirit communes with our spirit, which then in turn affects what we have in our heart for us to do that which is right. Or you're going to have the other method where it comes in in the physical sensory, uh, sensory manner in the sensual way that is going to affect what we decide in our heart. The decisions. So what do we find? We find there's a war within. We have stuff coming in from the flesh. And we have stuff that should be coming in from the Holy Spirit. And God talks about this specifically in this passage. In Romans chapter 7, and uh, I want us to jump over there uh, um, to, to kind of get this idea. Because again, Paul had talked about, and we've gone through Romans before, but I, I want us to get very specific with this war within. In his previous chapters, all the, th- the things that Paul showed was he showed that, number one, that the law could not save. The law was incapable of saving. And this is an important principle for us to understand because we're talking about that war that exists between what affects us. And the, the law could not save us. But what we do find is it could reveal sin. Take a look at verse 5. He says, for when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. And what do we find there? We find the law is demonstrating some things where we are, it's pointing it out. It's it's demonstrating where we're making the wrong decisions. So what do we find? That it reveals sin. It reveals sin, but here's the interesting thing is, it cannot remove sin. This is why certain things that we look at with like legalistic mentalities don't work. They don't save. Aren't you glad that before you trusted Christ as your Savior, you did not have to go through and stop sinning every single area where you were in sin? That would have, you would be like, not happening. Hence the need for Jesus Christ. Now, when we trust Christ as our Savior, what happened? There was repentance. That repentance was, you're turning from sin, you're turning from self, and you are turning to God. He is the Savior. He is the one that gives life. He is the one that will give forgiveness of sins. He is the one that will get us through the day-to-day battles. He is the one who, within whom everything exists, and he is our all in all. So we're turning from nothing to everything in Jesus Christ. That's repentance. You remove repentance out of salvation, you don't have salvation. You've got something else. So we find that it's a necessary component. It's just as necessary as adoption, predestination, ordination, justification, sanctification, redemption. Uh, um, all of those things that we see that are part of that come under the umbrella of salvation. Now when we start picking certain things out, like the Calvinists do with predestination, you get some her- heretical doctrines. Those are all part of it and the component of it. And people don't understand that because they think that repentance is work and so on and so forth, but they don't understand what God's talking about in Scripture. 
But as we go through this and as we think about this a little bit more, one thing that we realized with, with, with the law is that the law pointed out sin. It could not remove the sin. The Jesus Christ shed blood did. Hence, that's why everybody wound up in paradise and not in heaven. In the Old Testament. The sacrifice had not been paid yet. When the sacrifice was paid, it could wash it away permanently. Remove it. And here, here's where we see in verse 6 here, he says, But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. This is, again, what we see is that, that only Christ could be our remedy. Sin reveals, it cannot remove, but Christ is the remedy. Christ fixes that. Christ is the one with, that we need to do that. Because as he said, no man comes unto the Father except but by him. There's no other means. There's no other way. And, and look, some people will then start, if you will, and this is where he's getting into this passage in Romans 7, they start arguing about the law then. They start arguing about the law. Well, let's, let's be clear. There, there's a reason for the law, and we're not going to get into that today. The idea that we're looking at is we're looking at this war that's within. The, the, the issue is not the law. Take a look at verse 12. He says, wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just and good. The problem is not the law. What's the problem then? Me. I'm the issue. I'm the problem. As you go through this passage, you'll notice there are two distinct eyes in this. Not eyeballs, but eyes as in the letter I. And we find that there's two distinct ones, and they are, if you will, at war. And the problem is, is when we are at war, and we have this, this mindset that is going on where we're going to try to please the flesh, at the same, try, try, same time trying to please God, we have a dual mindset, the double mind, and we are unstable. We will not stand when the attacks come. One of the greatest reasons that people succumb to temptation and can't control habits, can't control tongues, can't control actions, can't control thoughts is because they're still giving in to those things of the flesh because they have no foundation and stability in Christ. Yeah, they may be saved, born again, child of God, but they have not established if you will, the fortress that is necessary, the armor of God which is necessary in their life from the Word of God to fight that battle. And that's one of the main reasons why people succumb to that. Why they fall for it every single time. The problem is us. Look, if the law was never intended to free us from sin, why on earth would anybody rely on it for something that it wasn't intended for? But we see that all the time. We see that all the time. You know what God wants to see? He wants to see the first commandment. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, right? 
He wants to see that in your life before somebody goes out there and tries to keep the letter of the law. Because the Israelites did that. What did they do? They went out and they sacrificed the turtle doves and the oxen and the the sheep. And what happened is, is God said, I'm tired of you doing that because your heart still isn't right. They were going through just a religious, if you will, tradition, but there was no change and effect of the Spirit of God in their heart to do that which is right. So they were winning, or excuse me, they were losing the battle every single time, even though they were, quote-unquote, keeping all of the things that, that were there. Perfect example. Paul. Paul said... He's the chiefest of sinners. At the same time, he said, you want to talk about boasting about who we are and what we've done? He said, I can boast better than the rest of you can boast. Here, let me show you very clearly. Watch this. As far as touching the law, what did he say? Blameless. They're like, well, if he's blameless according to the law, then then by some, you know, then he obviously must be saved because he kept the law. No, because the law was not intended for salvation. So the end result of what we find with that mentality is, even though he was blameless, and even though he had, you know, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, even though he was doing all that, you know what the main problem was? The main problem was Paul. He still was doing his own will. He was still kicking against the pricks of the Holy Spirit. He was still ignoring conviction. He was still ignoring God, even though he said he had a zeal for God, but he was persecuting the church. There's a lot of people out there that practice religiosity, but they they don't have a heart for Christ. They're not affected by the Spirit. They're affected by sensual things. They're affected by physical components of this world. They're affected, if you will, by the flesh and carnality. Turn over to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 2. Keep your place over there in Romans. We'll come back to it. But in Galatians chapter 2, Galatians chapter 2, and in verse 3... Just to kind of, again, point out some of these issues. Uh, let's go to verse 1. He says, Then 14 uh, years after I went up to, uh, again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also, and I went up by revelation and communicated with them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, and that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us uh, into bondage, to whom we gave place uh, or gave place uh, uh, by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. You know what he's saying right here? He's saying, here comes Titus. He's there with, 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 with Barnabas and Titus. And Titus isn't circumcised. And it drove the Jews crazy. Including believing Jews. Why? Because they were still stuck on the letter of the law. 
It was a fleshly thing that didn't do anything for Titus spiritually. Darren was the problem. Darren was the issue. The main thing is, is when we sit there and we try under our own power and our own will and in our own flesh to do the things without the Spirit motivating us, without the Spirit affecting us, without the Spirit leading us, without the Spirit guiding us, then we will fail every single time. We may, again, as I, we say, as I've said time and time again, it may seem like we've got the best equipment, but if our heart isn't in the right place, we will still fall to those fiery darts. We will still fall to those things that we find here in Romans 7 about doing what we shouldn't do and not doing what we should do. If you will, it's kind of a double sin. Because he says, if we know to do that which is right and we don't do it, it's called what? Sin. But if we do something that is directly against God, it is called sin. So when somebody knows to do what is right and chooses not to do it, but then in turn chooses the sinful action, it's almost twice as bad if we're going to grade that way. But let's grade sin as God sees sin. It's sin. It's exceeding sinful. It should be disgusting. We shouldn't want any part of it. We shouldn't want any part of it. So what do we find here? We find this, uh, this, 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 this battle that's going on. And, 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 and if you will, go over there to, back to Romans chapter 7. He talks about what the law is. We know he said that the law is just, it, it's holy, just, and good. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 14, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. And here he's saying, but there's a spiritual component to the law. Why? Because it's revealing the sin. And when those things are revealed unto us, there should be some conviction that comes in. That is one of the most important parts of correction in your Christian life. If you are ever at a point where you are rebuked, whether you're rebuked of God, whether you're rebuked in your heart, as David was, he was smote in his heart when he reached out his hand against God's anointed, King Saul. When things like that happen, that's a rebuke from the Lord. Sometimes it may be somebody that comes along and rebukes you and says, what you did was wrong. The first thing you don't jump to is justification. The first thing you jump to is conviction. If the conviction isn't present, the correction will not happen. There can be no repentance. There can be no turning. Because you're not convicted. You're not, you're not realizing the gravity of what has happened, the consequences of the sin. There's no understanding of that. If that if that happens, that's like trying to, to that's like trying to correct your dog by having a conversation with it. Seriously, 
I, I told you that the other day. I was, you know, the lady, uh, the, the, you know, um, Abby, uh, Emma, and uh, Amy were all on the ladies' retreat. I got the dogs, and the dogs are out there. They're barking at the rabbit and everything, and blah blah blah, and just, you know, driving me crazy. And I and I and I I, just, I decided to have a conversation with them about it. I'm talking to the dog. I'm talking to Daisy, and she just she has this look where she just looks like like she's looking deep into your soul, kind of like she was wanting to understand, but she's just not. <laughs> it's a dog. She doesn't speak human. She understands certain words. She understands certain words earn treats. Why? Because that's all her her mind is. It's focused on motivation by food, treats, pets, attention, affection, things like that. But what we, but but again, if we try to do something in this life without the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God, without Him showing us, without Him revealing it to us in a spiritual way, having that His Spirit commune with our spirit that affects our heart the way it's supposed to be then the end result is we will continue in the same sin. Because no conviction means no correction. Now we can acknowledge it. We can go, oh yeah, that was probably bad. Yeah, I shouldn't do that. That's no. That's that's not that's not real uh um correction. There has to be a, a, a true conviction that comes in that we realize we just offended God horribly. And we have to go right over there where David said, against thee and thee only have I sinned. you got to make it right with God. But you know what a lot of people do? Is they want to skip the spiritual component and they want to go right to, quote-unquote, apologizing to a person. Now, the apology to a person in making that right in a restoration format is very correct. That should be done as part of the correction process. But here's the issue. If there's no spiritual connection, it's just still all done in the flesh. So guess what's going to happen? It's going to happen again. And again. And again. That's what happens in our Christian life. Take a look at the two eyes. I mean, here we are in Romans chapter 7. Here they are. They're battling it out. In verse 18, he says here in Romans 7, he says, For I know that in me, and he clarifies, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. And he says, For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. And he's saying there's a, there's this component that is there, this I that is battling, and, and what does he say? It, there's nothing that's good in it. Take a look at what he says in, in verse uh, uh, verse uh, 23. He says, But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. In my members. There's the other eye again. He's talking about those things that are fleshly oriented. And then as he continues on in verse 25, he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. And he realizes that there is that draw that is there because the, the, that, that flesh wants to fulfill what it wants. Those desires. 
Now, we beat up this flesh all the time, but, but let's be very clear here that I is within. This flesh will do what you tell it to do. I'll give you a perfect example. Simple exercise. Everybody in here that has the capability of doing it, raise your left hand. Okay. You all raise your left hand, right? Okay. If not, and you're, and you're dyslexic and you raise your right hand, that's okay too. We accept you. <laughs> but, you know, we raise our hand, right? What did we just tell our flesh to do? Raise your hand. Now, did you actually have a conversation with your hand and go, you know what? You need to raise your hand. I'm tired of you, what you constantly do. Why do you always disobey me? You just told your flesh to do that. So we know there's a problem. And it's not necessarily this physical thing. It's that will. It seems to be related to that flesh. Because we want those senses that happen through the flesh to affect us. It identifies, this I that I'm talking about, this is the one that identifies with the body, with the flesh. Because again, as the Bible says, there's pleasure in sin for a season. For a season. Did you know at some point in time, it stops? It's no longer fun. It's no longer fun. You know, perfect example. You take some of the, 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 the low-hanging fruit. A person that drinks chronic, chronically will wind up with liver problems probably later on in life. That's not fun. person that chronically smokes winds up with lung issues. That's not fun. A person that is uh, promiscuous winds up with diseases, some of which are fatal. That's not fun. Most of them, if not all of them, by the way, ruin your life. They ruin your life. I remember that was part of what we had to teach, you know, when we were going through microbiology and we were going through all of that. That was a gross subject matter. Talking about STDs. Yeah, that was sick. But I'll tell you this, those are all fleshly things, right? But let's also bring it into a little bit closer. Pride is flesh-based, body-based. Why? Because when we are filled with pride, we feel good about ourselves. I feel better about myself, and I feel better than you. That's pride. That's pride. So we realize that only by pride cometh contention. We realize that that's what the driving force behind all of this is. That I that wants to do in a very satanic manner what I will wants. And as we look at the other one in verse 17 here, he says, 
this, he says, now, when it is no more I that doeth it, but it is a sin that dwelleth in me, talking about this, uh, the, the, this conflict that is there, he, t- he knows very clearly there's another I that is, that is associated with this. And, and, and if you go in verse 23, he mentions it. He says, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity. There's the other eye. There's the other eye. And when the other eye, the first eye that we just talked about, is the one that is dominating, it puts the other one into captivity. It oppresses it. It oppresses it. In verse 25 here, he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. And he makes it very clear, that's the eye that needs to be the dominant one. That controls the flesh. That tells the other eye to sit back and be quiet and has no business doing anything. This is the issue. In verse 22, he says, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Here he is, he's talking about, he delights in it. What is he doing? He's delighting in the law of God after the inward man, saying that that, that, that which is in me, when the Holy Spirit's communicating with my spirit, and my, that, that spirit is, is, is telling me very specifically what my soul needs to do. He's saying, I delight in that. But then here comes that other eye. It creeps in and starts trying to influence and affect in a physical, sensual manner. Something that is, if you will, temporal versus that which is spiritual and eternal. So this is the fight that exists. This is the fight that exists. And you know what? We're going to lose the battle within us uh, uh, when we attempt to, 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 to modify what God has told us to do with, with, with a fleshly desire or fleshly inclination. When we are trying to do it in our own strength alone is when we are going to fail. Take a look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 3. He says, For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. That's why we need Jesus Christ. So in Romans chapter 7, he talks about the one man that really just needs to die, and then he talks about the man that needs to live in us. And the more that we are engaged in this idea that we still think that we can do it on our own willpower, we are going to fail because we find in verse 18 of, of Romans 7, he says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, for the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Because when we try to cut God out of the picture, when we try to cut Christ out of the picture, when he's not part as a 100% commitment, then guess what happens? We are not going to be successful 
in the Christian life the way that we're supposed to be, we are not going to have a victorious Christian life. We are still going to fight the same battles day after day after day after day after day, and we're still going to lose the same battles day after day after day after day because it's not about willpower. Our flesh, as we've just seen here, can't do anything. You know what it's about? It's about the Spirit. Turn finally over to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, and then we'll close with our Sunday school. Excuse me, Galatians chapter 5. Pardon, Galatians chapter 5. And in verse 16, he says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit. Your pathway should be, should be the one that listens to the Spirit. And that's capital S, the Holy Spirit of God. And ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you are walking solely 100% committed and purpose for God, then the sin is the stuff that will be put aside. You will not fulfill the lust of that flesh. But those are choices you make. Those are decisions you make. It's not just going to happen automatically. He says, for the spirit lusteth against the, or excuse me, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another. So you cannot do the things that you would. That's the problem is the fight. When you're busy fighting that sin that is within you and you're fighting that on a day to day basis, you know what? You're not going to have the time and opportunity to do what you're supposed to be doing. You gotta win this battle. You gotta win it. And it's won by Jesus Christ. Because as he says here in verse 18, he says, but if ye be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. What is it that leads us into battle on a day-to-day basis? If it's our own pride and our own flesh, we are, we are foolhardy in thinking that we're going to go in and win that fight. So what do we have to do? That flesh needs to be yielded to the spirit. The spirit needs to tell the flesh what to do. And that only comes by listening to the Holy Spirit, by having the word of God impressed into our heart, and affecting our heart so that we would do the will of God because we know what it is and we're not ignorant of him. This is how this battle begins to be won on a day-to-day basis. We'll talk more about this, 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 this conflict that exists next week, but we begin to see here that we've already established there's a way that we're supposed to, to stand, to be established. It involves committing 100% of ourselves unto God and to Christ. And if we do that, then we are going to be listening to the Holy Spirit of God. We're going to be led of him, and we're not going to have time and opportunity to yield to those things that are fleshly. And it's a spiritual battle that we're going to fight within ourselves. But we've got to have victory in those battles. If we're not getting the victory then we have to ask ourselves, wherein am I making the wrong decision? Wherein am I ignorant of God's righteousness? I need to know more about it. Let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for this time. Thank you again for an opportunity, Lord, to get into your word and scripture and talk about this 
uh, very weighty subject matter. But Lord, I pray that we've learned something today. I pray, Lord, that we've been encouraged by it, that, Lord, we will take these things, and that, Lord, we would walk in the Spirit. We would have a desire, Lord, to please you, to honor you, to glorify you with all that we say and do. And above all, Lord, that we would love you with all our soul, all our strength, all our might, everything that we are, Lord, it would be for you and you alone. Pray, Lord, you just continue to work in our hearts for this uh, 11 o'clock hour. And these things I ask and pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.